We're so glad that you've tuned in to the Rolling Hills Community Sermon Podcast. I'm T. Lusk, and I'm the Columbia Campus Pastor, and we're currently working through a series called Celebrating God's Goodness, where we've been studying the book of 1 Thessalonians. You know, thankfulness and living lives of gratitude starts with us, and it starts in our heart. And when our hearts are full of joy and thanksgiving, that flows out into our attitudes. And so let's start learning about how to have that kind of perspective and attitude each day in the things that we face and the people that we come in contact with. We're so thankful that you're here. Good morning. Um, do you like my costume? I, I really enjoy yours too. Um, happy, happy Reformation Day. <laughs> this is a, a day that we get to celebrate the goodness of our God as it's transcribed to us to get to be part of an ongoing Reformation in the life of the church. Um, to trust and know that this word is exactly what God intended for us to have and use in our day and generation, just like the generations that came before us. We are week two in a brand new series called Celebrating God's Goodness. And last week, if you were here, if you tuned in online, you were part of a service where you got to hear Pastor Jeff Simmons, the lead pastor of all of our Rolling Hills campuses, dive into the book of First Thessalonians. And so if you have your Bibles with you this morning and, and want to go ahead and turn there, we're diving in specifically to chapter two, but not before we recall one specific verse from chapter one. We'll, we'll look at First Thessalonians 1.5 and then dive into chapter two together. But I have a question for you. What, what are the things that you celebrate the most in your life? Is it like birthdays or, or milestones or stimulus checks? I mean, like, what are the things that you celebrate the most? And, and what's your MO? Like, what's your, your typical modus operandi, the, the characteristic that, that is most pervasive in your life of the way that you celebrate? I know some people are celebrating big time that in the World Series, I'm not much of a sports fan, but I can, I can check Twitter, and I know that we're like three to one with the Braves right now. There are some people that are celebrating that, like running through the streets and hollering and getting excited because they know that something good is, is coming. And there's another game. That's a lot happening right now. How do you celebrate? What does it look like for you to be excited or, or, or to motivate it? I'll tell you that this is a church, and I've been a part of the life of Rolling Hills for over 14 years from now. This is a church where we like to celebrate and we know how to party, right? Like we know how to celebrate. And the thing that we celebrate the most is the advancement of the gospel, life change in people's lives, in their stories, people that were far away from God being redeemed by his grace and his goodness, those life-changing moments, and then ultimately the next steps that we all take as believers. Like we, we celebrate the next step that you might take as an obedient believer in Jesus Christ, because last week, if you're part of the message, you, you heard Jeff say, like, when you obey God, it's not just about you. Your obedience impacts more than just you, and so we celebrate that, and the ripple effects that come from people living obedient lives to Jesus Christ. We celebrate the gospel as it goes forward. So, so we go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5, and it says, because our gospel, Paul's, Paul's writing to the church in Thessalonica. You can read in Acts chapter 17 how he traveled there, how he planted seeds of the gospel, how they reaped results in the faith. And it says, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, the, 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 the logos, but also with power, I'm underlining words, I'm underlining the word power, with the Holy Spirit, underlining the words Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. 
And so when the gospel comes, it doesn't just come with a story that somebody weighs the odds and figures, well, this sounds plausible and this sounds good, so I'll go ahead and check mark the box of belief and say that, yeah, I get this. No, it comes with power and the Holy Spirit indwelling inside of you and conviction. That's the way that the gospel has to come to us too. It's not just for believers in Thessalonica. It's not just for believers post-Protestant Reformation. It's not just for people's lives who've been dramatically transformed. It's for all of us that when we receive the gospel, if we receive it as more than just good words, as more than just some story that impacts our lives, we get power, we get the Holy Spirit, and we get conviction. Romans 10, 10 says that it's with your heart that you believe. It's not just a head knowledge. It's literally the soul, everything that there is about us. It's with our heart that you believe and are ultimately justified, made right before God, just as if you had never sinned. And it's with your mouth that you profess that you are saved. So we can say with our mouths that we believe in Jesus all day long, but if our hearts haven't first received that gospel and been transformed by the life of Jesus, it's not a gospel that we can celebrate. Your salvation is what you believe in your heart of hearts, in the core of who you are, to be true about God, about his gift of Jesus. But, but the, the, your salvation is also what you believe about yourself, your life before Christ, but also who you are in Christ. Your salvation is also what you believe about everybody else and their access to and their opportunity and the possibility of them being changed by that too. And so you celebrate. You celebrate what God gave us in Jesus. You celebrate the way that you received it and the fact that your life was changed. And you celebrate wildly and passionately the way that other people come to faith in Christ. And that's what we want to do as a church. How does one believe? They, they receive the word deep down in who they are. If we fast forward to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. We're going to read a bunch of this chapter today, but verse 13 says, We thank God continually because when you received that word, that, that logos, that, that story, that truth about Jesus, when you believe, Romans 10, 10, down deep in your heart, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, not as, not as a human word, not as some great slogan, not as some anecdote, not as some narrative, not as some allegory, but actually as it is the word of God, the living God, who is working at work in you who believe. Does anybody watch The Crown on Netflix? Oh, thank you for raising your hands. I'm telling you what, we I think maybe one of the saddest things about the American Revolution, I'm all about the Declaration of Independence and our freedom. Um, I love that movie, National Treasure. Okay, like I'm all about that, but the saddest thing about the American Revolution is, is um, that we lost those really great accents. Like, wouldn't it, I would, I would trade in just a little bit of our freedom, not a lot, but just a little bit of our freedom um, if we could get back those accents. I think they sound so kind. I think they sound so smart. So The Crown on Netflix is literally the story of Queen Elizabeth as she takes the throne in her early years. Y'all, this was a long time ago because that lady's old. Okay, so like as she takes the throne in her early years all the way up until present day. And the neat thing about the show is they didn't just pick one actress and make her look young one season and make her look real old the next season. They literally, this one actress got to play Queen Elizabeth for two seasons, and then another actress got to play Queen Elizabeth for two seasons, and now another actress is coming back to play her in what could be the last or the last two seasons. We don't know if it's going to be two more yet or not. This is us as believers. It's like we all get our turn. 
Every single one of us in our day, in our generation, it, it becomes our turn to, to, to wear the crown, to, to play the part. We have an opportunity. The believers in Thessalonica had an opportunity in their day, in their generation, to play the part of the Christ follower and to live their lives according to the word of God. And generation after generation after generation has been presented with this same powerful word, the word that comes in power, the word that comes with the Holy Spirit, the word that involves deep conviction in our hearts of hearts, they were given opportunity. Martin Luther had his opportunity in his day and in his generation to play the part of the committed Christ follower and to further the gospel and to celebrate the goodness of what God's word says. And now it's our turn and in our day and the story of what God is doing right now, the story of what God is writing right now in your heart literally is just as magnificent and just as powerful and just as convicting. It ought to be. It ought to be just as magnificent, just as powerful, just as convicting, and just as Holy Spirit-filled as what it was in the lives of these believers. That word power in First Thessalonians 1, 5 it is literally the word dynamos, dynamite. And it's, it's the same as the word for miracles in Scripture. I still believe in miracles. And, and I want you to be a people that literally believe in the powerful miracles of God. That word conviction, it literally means certainty. I'm certain that God is today who he was yesterday and can continue to do the same powerful things that he did then and wants to do today. And we get to celebrate those. Are you, are you confident in the miracles of God? I am. And, and so today we get to say together that the way that you note the powerful miracles of God, the way that you celebrate the powerful miracles of God in your life and in the life of other people, it will impact the way that others perceive God. The way that others perceive him and ultimately receive this word will be impacted by the way that you pay attention to God's goodness and the way that you celebrate God's goodness at work in the world and in, in our lives. And so 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 says this, starting in verse 1. It says, you know, brothers and sisters, he's writing to believers in Thessalonica, and this believers, this group of believers is composed of first some, some, some Christ-honoring, believing, like messianic Jews. It says in Acts chapter 17 that Paul and his band of brothers, they, they journeyed to Thessalonica, and the first thing they did was spend about three weeks him teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath to a whole bunch of Jewish people who had gathered to observe the Jewish faith, and he preached, and they received the good news about Jesus. And then a whole great big many, Acts chapter 17 says, of God-fearing Greeks, people on the outside of that synagogue, but had been paying attention to what was going on on the inside of that synagogue. All of a sudden, there's a celebration breaking out, and people are in their faith in the Old Testament God, understanding that in their faith, he delivered New Testament Jesus to be the Messiah that they longed for. And because of the way that they observed what was going on in that synagogue, those God-fearing Greeks, they joined in too, and a church was planted. This brother Brothers and sisters are believers in Jesus, and it says that our visit to you was not without results. People came to Christ. 
We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi. That was Acts chapter 16. Paul goes down to Philippi. There's a lady that's doing crazy things and following them around, and they cast the demonic spirit out of her. Well, the people that owned her got really upset because now they can't make money in their way, and so they throw Paul and Silas into prison, and at midnight, they're singing praises to God. They're literally celebrating God's goodness in the middle of a trial, and the doors open, and the Philippian jailer comes to Christ, and it's the whole fantastic story. They're run out of town, and they make their way to Thessalonica, and he's just reporting. He's saying, oh yeah, you know that we were run out of town, and we were treated badly in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you this gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal that we make does not spring from error or impure motives, like we didn't make a mistake about Jesus, and we're not trying to trick you about Jesus. On the contrary, We speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know, we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. Oh, mask, that's a whole different passage of scripture. It's not talking about what you think it's talking about. It says we were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you, and just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. It's in your notes this morning. There's fill in the blanks. If you'd like to follow along, you can zero in on the app and type in words to help you remember some of the things that we might talk about today. What, what matters the most regarding results, like we all want results in life, what, what matters the, the most regarding results isn't the what or the when, but the, the why, the how, and the who. It, it's about the why, the I like results. Um, I, I like instant gratification. I like for things to come immediately. I like to have big savings, small pants, fast run times. Like, I, I like results, but I like them to come with very little effort at all, right? Like, that's the kind of results that we like, and I like them to come really, really quickly. I, I like the person who responds after one invite to church. I like the family that returns after just one Sunday. I I like the response that you get after just one email or a really fast text where you see the three dots on the bottom and you know that somebody's replying immediately. When that three dots goes away, you're like, did they not read it? Did they not receive it? Did they start typing something and then delete it because they didn't send it? Like, what's going on? I like results. And oftentimes we think the result is all about the bottom line, the what, or we think the result is all about the when, how quickly it comes. But ultimately what we understand from this passage of scripture, it's, it's not the want, what or the when that matters the most. It's, it's the why salvation has come because we're sinners in need of God's goodness. It's the how, it's the missionary message that's been transmitted from one believer to another. Paul talks about in Romans chapter 10, like how can people hear unless somebody goes and tells them? And how can somebody go and tell them unless they are sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring really good news. The how is the transmission of the message from one celebratory believer to another person who might get to also celebrate their belief in Jesus, even in spite of the opposition to the faith and ultimately who? It's the power of God. He says, our visit to you was not without results, but with the help of our God. We dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. It's God who gives results. 
Paul, Paul wrote that to the church in Corinth. In, in 1 Corinthians, he describes, hey, hey, I planted some seeds. Apollos, he watered some seeds, but it's God who gives growth. And so when we celebrate the life change that happens in church, when we celebrate the transformation that goes on in the life of believer, we're celebrating the work of God. It's all about the why because we need salvation. It's all about the how because we get to spread this message and it's the who God ultimately gives the growth. What matters the the most about our motives is the authenticity of our witness. Like we won't have any ulterior motives here. Like our appeal does not come from error. We didn't just make a mistake about who Jesus was. We didn't somehow hear some kind of lie that's been transmitted all throughout history. There are apologetic resources for all generations that have continued to prove over and over and over again that Jesus Christ was really born around the turn of that big, huge century, that he was really lived a perfect, sinless life, that he really was martyred and crucified on a cross, and that he really did come back to life. This is not a message that's being transmitted in error to these first-generation people who didn't have any sort of way to figure out what the actual truth was. There were eyewitness accounts of, like, hundreds and hundreds of eyewitness accounts of the resurrected Jesus and the ascended Jesus back into heaven, commanding his followers to go out into all the world and to preach and to teach and to baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit to to go into Jerusalem. Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world to spread this message. There were witness. This is not something that's been transmitted by error, and it's certainly not something that's been transmitted by impure motives. These guys don't have anything to gain. In fact, they have so much to lose by spreading this message. Do you ever feel like somebody's offering you just the deal of a lifetime, but you know beyond a shadow of a doubt it's more about what they get out of it? This isn't that moment. This is not that moment. This is not about what they get out of the transaction. Their motive is pure. And so when you get to share the gospel of of Jesus with someone that you know, it's out of a pure motive that you just desire for them to experience the same transformational goodness that you have. The witness isn't just the message we, we talk about that several series ago. We talked about sharing the gospel and what it means to make a gospel presentation. The wages of sin is death. We all deserve to be eternally separated from God, but the, but the free gift of God is Jesus Christ, right? It's the grace that we get from him to those who believe. And, and so we get to proclaim that, yes, there is a message. It's the gospel story of Jesus Christ crucified for our sin and then resurrected It's the faith that we have in that story, but it's not just the message. It's also the messenger. He says, we loved you so much, we were delighted not only to share with you the gospel of God, but our lives as well. That word life is literally breath, but not just the fact that your lungs are breathing and your heart is pumping blood to all your vital organs and you have brain activity going on. It's not just your vital signs. It's literally the word that means your being. It's your soul. It's the idea that you have inside of you a gut, a seat of your, your feelings, your desires, your affections, your, your aversions. It's, it's your, your heart. And so this gospel is not just about sharing the start-to-finish message of Jesus Christ. It's about you sharing your life experience with him with someone else. 
at some point it becomes your turn to play the part. Your turn to step on the stage. Your turn to communicate this good gospel. Paul had his chance. Martin Luther had his chance. Mother Teresa, she had her chance. Now it's yours, your turn to play the part, your turn to share the gospel. And when that comes, you don't just stick to the script. We have it, but you get to put yourself into the story. You get to share your part of the journey, and it's what Christ has done in your life that transmits this message. It's not just the narrative. It's also the narrator, and that's you. And you tell that story in a bunch of different ways. Some of them are in your notes for you this morning. The first is your baptism. Your baptism, that ultimately tells the story of what Jesus did. We say that baptism paints a picture of what happened for us on the cross, that, that Christ died and was buried. That's why we put people under the water. We don't hold them there too long, I promise. Christ died and was buried. It's not three days, it's like three seconds. Trust me, it's going to be okay. He died and was buried, and then he raised again. And when you go into that water, you're literally telling the story of what Jesus Christ did for us. We got to celebrate baptism a couple of weeks ago. We have several that are coming up. If you're an adult in the room and you're like, okay, I think this is my next step. I think this is something that, that I'm going to need to publicly do to profess my faith in Jesus Christ. We got a baptism class coming up. It's just a chance for us to talk about the mode and the meaning of what that is. We want you to be a part of that next step of obedience in your life. We actually, on November the 14th, just in two weeks, we actually have a parent-kid baptism class right after the second service because we've got some kids that are having some really great spiritual conversations and they're expressing childlike faith in Jesus. And so we want to walk with those moms and dads and grandparents and those kids through the meaning of what this life-changing moment means in a person's life. Romans 6, 4 says this, we were therefore buried with him through baptism. And y'all, going under the water for three seconds is a whole lot better than going into a grave for three days. Like, we got off easy, but we were buried with him. The symbolism of our old life dying and going away in baptism into death in order that just as Christ, we were raised from the dead to the glory of the Father so that we too may have a new life. Your, your baptism tells the story of what Jesus did for you, but it's not just that story, it's, it's your story. Your story matters. This is the details of, 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 of what you've been rescued from. Jesus said it. He who's been rescued from a lot loves a lot. He who's been rescued and forgiven a lot loves a lot. Revelation chapter 12 says, They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. This is what Jesus did for me. This is what he's brought me out of. This is what he's walked with me through. It says they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Those early believers in Jesus Christ, no stake was too high for them to be willing to put their lives and their stories on the line so that other people could know and receive the gospel. You sharing your story, it, it comes with a stake. It, it comes with a cost. There's a vulnerability and an authenticity and a reality of you communicating the difficult situations that you've walked through, but your testimony is a way that you get to share and celebrate the goodness of God, and it often involves your suffering. It often involves your suffering. The hard parts, 
Because when you talk about the hard parts, you're ultimately talking about the miraculous work of God. 1 Peter 4.13 says, but rejoice. That means celebrate. <laughs> celebrate in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. In 1 Thessalonians 2, we already read verse 13. It says, we thank God continually because when you received the word of God, when you believed in your heart, when you met that word with power, when you were filled up with the Holy Spirit, when you were granted deep conviction, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God. And it's indeed at work in you who believe for you, brothers and sisters. Jewish believers who trusted that Jesus Christ really is the Messiah, Greek observers who stepped in and believed that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. You became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. And you suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews. The Bible says in Acts chapter 17 that there were other Jews outside the synagogue that day who were jealous and who were angry and heaped insults on anybody who received the word of Jesus and was willing to allow Gentile believers to come into the faith that day. There was suffering because of the furthering of the gospel, but the celebration always, always out weighed it. Your baptism tells the story of Jesus, your, your, your testimony, and even the parts of it that are hard where you have suffered and walked through difficulty, continue to communicate that message. And when you're willing to share that with someone, you're giving them a part of your life. You're ultimately sharing your heart. You're sharing your heart. This is your opportunity to express love, to show your heart for people, to live out Philippians chapter 2, which says consider others as more important than yourself. You're telling other people that they matter. They matter to God and they matter to you. First Peter chapter 3 says always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do it with gentleness and respect. Show somebody the kindness of God through your kindness. You get to tell the story of Jesus and live it out and celebrate what he wants to do in the life of other people. And there will be difficulty along the way. And what matters most regarding that difficulty or any of the obstacles that we face is the worthiness of the prize. No matter what level of difficulty you face, sharing the gospel good news of Jesus and what he's done in your life, it's always worth it. Paul wrote to them, he says, for we wanted to come to you, certainly. I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. Man, he had hard journeys. Man, he had difficult circumstances getting from place to place. Can you imagine sharing the gospel and being run out of towns from time and time again? He says, for what is our hope? He says, it didn't matter what we faced. It didn't matter what Satan's attempts for. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of the Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? He's literally writing to a group of people and he says, you guys are the prize. You're the trophy. When a little kid up in our, our Main Street classrooms, when he, he says, hey, I, I know I'm a sinner and I need God's forgiveness and I want to follow Jesus all my life, that's the prize. 
When somebody who's far from faith in God and who's lived a really difficult life walks through these doors and experiences the love and the kindness that you guys offer and they want to turn from whatever difficulty they've faced in life and whatever sin that they've lived out in life and repent and trust that Jesus came to give them abundant life, they are the prize. That's the crown. 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says he was willing to do anything for somebody to come to faith. He says, to the weak I became weak to win the weak. He says, I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel. So then it becomes our turn to to portray the message. Don't worry, you're the really young Queen Elizabeth. You're not the super old one, right? No. When it becomes your turn to play the part, when it becomes your turn to to sit in the role, what do you do with it? I love this line. It's 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 one of Claire. She played the young Queen Elizabeth, Claire Foy, and I don't know if Queen Elizabeth ever said this, but this is their interpretation of the way she felt when she understood the weight of the crown that she wore. She says, "I am aware." I should do this in a British accent, shouldn't I? It would have a lot more meaning. I'm not gonna know. I'm aware that I am surrounded by people who feel that they could do the job better, strong people with powerful characters, but for better or worse, the crown has landed on my head. You have probably thought, I just assume so, because I've definitely thought it about myself. There are, there are better, stronger people to to do the work of this gospel message in our day and our generation. There are far better, far smarter, far cooler people, like just like way better pastors to, to sit in my role. Susan could have a better husband. My, my kids could have a much better dad. This campus could have a much better leader. My community could have a much better neighbor somebody who's got way stronger convictions and way better character. You, you look at the place that you live and you probably think somebody could do your job better. Somebody could sit in your family better. Somebody could do your role better. But for better or worse, regardless of how it turns out, this role has landed at you and it's your turn. It's your turn to play the part. It's your turn to share the joy. It's your turn to live like there's no tomorrow and go after people in this world with the gospel good news of Jesus in a way that helps them receive that good word. It's your turn. And so how are you going to play the hand that you've been dealt, to live the life that's landed at your feet, And to do it in such a way that celebrates, that notes, and honors the goodness of God so that other people can sit back and marvel and say, wow, McGowan stinks, so God must really be good. How can other people know and notice that God is good because of your story, because of your baptism, 
because of your testimony of, of suffering and difficulty, because of your weakness and, and the world that you live and the roles that you play, can someone notice the goodness of God? Because it, it's your turn. It's ultimately all about the crown, literally, and also what we do with it. It's all about the prize. We've used this as a symbol for the last three years of the kingdom of God that we've been praying for. And that somehow God would help us plant a campus in Nashville and a campus in Nolansville to find permanent homes that we can operate out of. That God would somehow allow us to, to build new transitional living homes in the country of Moldova and the southern part of it so that we can see more people's lives transformed by the goodness of gospel. That our, our Franklin campus would grow with the next generation. That we would be able to reach more people. The five points of the crown have represented five initiatives and we have celebrated along the way the goodness of God because he has, in spite of our weakness, continued to provide. You know the expression, heavy is the head that wears the crown? Well, the good news about the crowns that we wear, the good things that God has done in our lives, is that we get to take those off. Because we believed from the beginning that was ultimately his work in the world that mattered. Revelation 4 sums it all up because there are crowns that we will achieve for the good works that we do in life. And it says in verse 10, 24 elders, they fall down before him who sits on the throne and they worship him. This is Jesus, by the way, who lives forever and ever. And they, they lay their crowns before the throne and they say, you are worthy, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and they have their being. So, so the cool thing about the crown that we wear and the responsibility that we have and the joy that we share is that it ultimately belongs to him and, and we get to lay it at his feet. You know, regarding our work in the world, re regarding the challenges that we face and the results that we seek, it, it's the why salvation. It, it's the how we get to be the messengers but the who, it's God who did the work, and so we just tell him, great job. We just get to submit in our day and our generation to that role, to this script, and live it out to the best of our ability, trusting that it's his power that's at work in the world to save people. And when they receive Christ, they get power, they get the Holy Spirit, they get the same level of deep conviction, and then it becomes their turn to play the part. And the role of Christ's follower will now be played by whoever else receives the message and believes that God is good. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this day and this opportunity to be in this place and to celebrate your goodness in our lives. God, today, would you recall to our minds special moments where we've seen you at work where we've got to watch you do good things. Would you help us to be a people who are willing to do whatever it takes against all odds to communicate this message of truth so that other people can celebrate the gift that we have in Jesus? Would you remind us that regardless of our weakness and regardless of our lack, regardless of our failures, that it's you who's at work in the world? There may be far better people who could sit in the seats that we sit 
and have the jobs that we have and the relationships that we have and play the parts that we play. But for better or worse, you have chosen us, you have redeemed us, and you desire to use us to communicate your message of goodness to the world. Father, as we do, we'll, we'll celebrate the wins along the way and we'll lay them at your feet because you did it anyway. We love you today and we tell you, keep doing it, God. Keep reminding us of your goodness. Keep using us to accomplish your will. We want to see Jesus' name magnified in this place and all over this world. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, which is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, where you can find great podcasts and content like the Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, and the RH Women's As You Go Podcast, and so much more. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, we'd invite you to download our app or visit us at our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can find and follow us on Instagram and Facebook and stay up to date on all the things that are happening at Rolling Hills. We're so thankful for you.